Middle schoolers, they are middle schoolers, they are dismissed at this time. As they're in the sanctuary some after worship, and they'll be going up to youth middle middle school, and they'll have their middle middle the rest of us we're going to continue in our verse by verse study in the book of Hebrews. So if you'll turn in the back of the New Testament, the Hebrews chapter twelve will begin at verse twelve. We'll finish the chapter this morning. But we've been in this uh, epistle for the last uh, several months. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and Pastor John will slip you a Bible so you can read with us, study God's Word with us this morning. But here at Calvary Chapel, if you're new, you're visiting, we go through the books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse, and from Genesis to Revelation. Um, That's the way to growth. It's the way to faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. I believe that the great need in the church today is... Uh, there to be a continuation in the study of God's Word, and that's what we emphasize here at Calvary Chapel. So I know you'll be blessed and encouraged as we go through God's Word this morning, and uh, we want to uh, look at this, um, finish the chapter. As you recall, if you've been with us in our study of the book of Hebrews, that the initial reader who was the Hebrew believer in the first century they were struggling, uh, those believers, with their newfound faith in Jesus. And they had come out of Judaism, and of course there was this tremendous temptation to go back under the Old Covenant, go back to the temple worship and rituals, to the animal sacrifices, which, by the way, could not take away sin. Uh, That's why it was a continual work that they did day after day after day. It, It was only Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Son of God who came and died for our sins, who died once and for all to take away sin. But there was this temptation to to go back to those things and to the temple worship and to observing the law and to to those things. And that's one of the reasons why there was such this spiritual struggle that was taking place. Judaism had been a big part of their lives, uh, of their history. The temple worship, the feast, the observances, uh, they had the beautiful temple there in Jerusalem. And so there was this tremendous pull for them to go back to all of that. And they needed to understand that the one that they had put their faith and trust in was superior to all of that. And that he was sufficient, the work that he did for us. That the old covenant, that it was weak, it, it didn't bring us into the presence of the Lord. Only the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, and that was once a year for a short time. It didn't take away sin. It only covered sin till the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, came and died for our sins. And we couldn't be saved by the law. So Jesus, as is explained here in this epistle, that he is everything. And that he is better. Uh, He he does take away sin by his sacrifice. He's superior to any prophet or high priest or angelic creature. He is eternal God, God incarnate. He's the author of eternal life, and he brings a better promise and a better hope. So do not go back to that. That truly, truly cannot bring relationship with the Father or give you right standing with the Father. And as the writer would establish these truths very carefully and, and, and very uh, intelligently using the Word of God, giving us truth, uh, what Jesus did, who He is, chapter 10 concluded that there's no other salvation, that Jesus truly is the author of salvation. The second reason that these Jewish or Hebrew believers were struggling with their faith is because they were going through difficult times. 
they would experience hostility and persecution and their, their goods would be taken away as we saw in chapter 10. And the writer would remind them that when you first got saved, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. And now you have need of endurance. And the just shall live by faith, as chapter 10 ended. And then chapter 11, here is the hall of faith. Here are examples of the Old Testament that you're familiar with those of the Old Testament that live by faith. You know their stories. You know their struggles. And all these endured in faith, verse 13 of the chapter. So it would be a great encouragement to them as they were going through the same thing. And it should be a great encouragement to you and I because in our lives and in our spiritual journey, we are going to experience the hardships and the difficulties and the hostility and even the persecution because it was Paul that wrote to Timothy that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You and I will suffer some kind of hostility or uh, some kind of um, you know, persecution to some degree as we live for Jesus Christ. And I really believe, I'm of the opinion, that it could get greater as we get closer to the return of the Lord because we're living in a world and in a culture that is becoming more anti-God and, and coming against those who stand for Jesus Christ. So it can be hard times, and we need the same encouragement that these readers are getting. And then chapter 12, we were told that there is a race that is set before you. Every single one of us, we have a race to run, and we are to run with endurance. And the way to do that is to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We are to consider him, verse 3 of chapter 12 tells us. And that word consider means to study, study very carefully, Look to him, study him, know him. When I was uh, a student in, in college, I had this uh, biology class, and, and I had a lab with it, and the final was 100 microscopes. You walked into this lab, and 100 microscopes, and you look in, and you write down what it was that you're looking at, and it was so difficult, it was so hard, and I remember before the final exam, that I was you know, asking uh, the professor for help, some of us, and I'd look in and I'd have no idea what it was. And I would look and he would say, what do you see there? I'd say, well, some squiggly lines or something. And he would say, no, look carefully. Look carefully, consider it. And that's what we're to do with Jesus, consider him who endured such hostility. And, and so the writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is exhorting them and building them up, just as he is with us as we read these words. And don't forget that the race that is set before you, there is the chastening and there is the disciplining of the Lord. And he chastens those whom he loves as we belong to him, just as parents that we chasten our children, don't we? We have the chastening of the Lord in our lives because we belong to him, the spirit of adoption, where we cry out, Abba, Father. And as parents to our children, we discipline our children. It's not always correcting. That's part of it. But it is teaching and it's nurturing them. And that's part of the discipline of the Lord. Don't forget that he's going to do that because he loves you and he wants the very best for you. So you're to embrace it, you're to endure it, you're to receive it. And we looked at those six principles of the chastening of the Lord in our lives that I think a lot of people went away encouraged by it because 
oftentimes when we talk about the chastening of the Lord, the disciplining of the Lord, we automatically think very negatively that the Lord is punishing me and he has disfavor towards me. And, and people will say, God is judging me. Listen, Jesus took the judgment for you on Calvary's cross. And part of his discipline in our lives is correcting, but he loves you. And he doesn't want you to go down the wrong way, the wrong path. He wants us to stay close to him. And even as we, as parents, we discipline our children because we want the very best for them and we love them. So this is all that has been told to us in these chapters, chapters 10, 11, and 12, that is very important. And if you didn't hear the teaching last week, I would encourage you to listen to it as you can download it on our website. But that brings us to our text this morning. As we want to finish the chapter, let's begin in verse 12 of chapter 12. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. So the discouragement and hardship that they've gone through had really taken a toll on them. And the writer of Hebrews has given them exhaustive reasons to be strong in the Lord, to trust in the Lord. And here we see as he continues to exhort them, he he sounds more like a, a coach or maybe a military officer. Hey, it's time to get with it. It's time to get strong, and, and they're going to be told how it is that they are to live right. And so in this, uh, we see that uh, when we do surrender to discouragement in our lives, in the race that is set before us, it can be hard, isn't it? We become weak. Our hands kind of hang down. Our heads hang down. Our knees become weak, feeble. And now, as we know that they are going through that, and we can go through it ourselves, that they're being exhorted to be strengthened. To straighten up. The word straightening has the idea of to rebuild, to firm up that which has been torn down. Now we know that it's the Lord that will do that work in us, right? That we're told all throughout the scriptures to be strong and of good courage, to stand fast, those exhortations. But I think that all of us in the body of Christ, that we need brothers and sisters that will come along, that one that we can trust, one that we have good relationships with, that at times can give us that exhortation when we're feeling down. That's why it's important that we belong to the body of Christ. Don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together, uh, as is the matter of some, especially as you see the day approaching, chapter 10. So it's important for us in the body of Christ that we assemble together, that we be in fellowship with one another, because we get tired, and we get discouraged, and we get beat up, and, and our knees are weak, and our hands are feeble, and are and, and dragon, and we're tired spiritually, and we need to be exhorted and prayed for, and, and have that brother, that sister that comes along and says, keep running, keep going. Don't give up. Run your race. And, and I know I need that, that direct exhortation. I know it's been hard. I know it's been discouraging. But the Lord is with you. And he is teaching you. And he loves you. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. And to have that in the body of Christ is so imperative, is so important. You see, one of the tactics of the enemy is if he can get you isolated. You know, you don't need to be in fellowship. You don't need to be with other believers because he knows that he can effectively 
get a foothold in your life and discouraging you and tempting you and beating you up if you're isolated. But there's safety in the multitude of counsel. That's godly counsel. There's safety in, in numbers. And as you come being a part of the body of Christ, developing those relationships, and sometimes that takes a little while, to have those brothers and sisters that are going to bless you, encourage you, pray for you, exhort you to keep going. And many of you, you have that blessing. And I would encourage you that as, you know, we, we have the men's studies that will start up in the fall, as we have ladies' studies, as we have men's breakfasts, come to that. Be in fellowship. Get to know some of the people that are here. They're really wonderful people. You guys are great. And, um, and to be blessed in that way. So this is what's happening here. And I think that as we read uh, verse 12 here, the chapter, that maybe that the writer has in mind Isaiah chapter 35, verses 3 and 4, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. And then in verse 13, we're told to make straight paths for your feet. It's, it speaks of a path that you would follow you know, so you would get to the destination you need to go. People would travel on those paths, those roadways, and we know how that is. We can relate to that. Maybe some of you, you've been hiking up at Rocky Mountain National Park or in the mountains, and maybe you're hiking up to Bear Lake or one of the lakes or taking a trail, and if you stay on that trail, you're going to reach your destiny, your destination, your goal, but you got to stay on the trail. If you get off the trail, you can get lost. I had a friend in college, Sparky. He always loved to bushwhack through the woods, you know, through, um, you know, we'd be up in Comanche Wilderness, and we'd be on a trail, and he loved to go off the trail, and, and sometimes it's like, where are we, man? Where are we going? And uh, as long as we're staying on the path that he has for us, even as Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25 through 27 tells us, let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you, Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Listen, you want to be established in the Lord, then you walk on the pathway that he has for you. And to understand this, that the pathway that he has for you is the good way. It's the right path. Narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. Wide is the path or road that leads to destruction. The Lord has a path for you and me to, to travel on that we may do well in this life spiritually, that's going to take us to heaven. Our faith and trust in Him has been established, and we will be established in Him as we just trust in Him and live after Him. And be strong, be strong, make straight paths for your feet. And in verse 13, it tells us, so what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. The idea here is that all Christians, every single one of us, go through times of discouragement and spiritual weakness. And as you are encouraged in the Lord and strengthened and continue on the path that pleases God, then you will be able to help and encourage others that are on their path as well. And to encourage them to run their race. So I can meet with other pastors and, and other ministers, and, and I realize, hey, they go through the same discouragement, they go through the same challenges that I do, and, and as they are, you know, uh, just especially those who are seasoned in the Lord, they've been doing it for a while, hey, God's going to get you through it. 
He's got me through it. He's going to get you through it. And it's the same with us to be able to, as we are encouraged in the Lord, then we will be able to encourage others. Even as 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says that the comfort in which the God of all comfort comforts us by, then we are able to comfort others. And Paul is writing that when he said we were despaired of life. We are pressed beyond measure. So you're able to bless others as you're encouraged in the Lord, as, as you are walking the path that God wants you to. And so here, again, uh, we're told to what it is that um, here is uh, the exhortation, get strong, stay on the path that the Lord has you. And then second of all, how it is that we are to live for him, verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So number one, get strong, and then now get right. Pursue peace with all men. And you are to pursue holiness. Peace with others is something that we are to pursue. Paul would write something similar in Romans chapter 12. He said, to live peaceably with all men, if possible. Listen, I'm glad that Paul put in there, if possible. Because I know that there are situations and there are times where perhaps you need to pull away or dismiss yourself from a situation or from an individual because there is no peace and it's too difficult and it's hard and, and you got to keep yourself from being hurt. But for you and I as Christians, listen, we're to pursue peace with others and we are to desire that, to have that peace with others. There sometimes are those, a few, that they are in conflict with others constantly. There are those who live in that you know, negative attitude, being judgmental, coming down on people, you know, just you know, really beating people up spiritually. And, and it ought not to be that way with us, that we are told to let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is necessary for edification. So you and I are to build people up. It does not mean we cannot bring correction. It doesn't mean that we can't, you know, confront situations that need to be confronted. But here's the thing. We are to live peaceably with others, and to pursue that is the desire of the Lord, and holiness as well is what we are told. Uh, we are to be on that path uh, as we pursue those things, the race that is set before us, to be marked with peace with others and holiness towards God. And again, we live in this world, but we're to be different from the world. That word there, holiness, has the root meaning of sanctification. Now, many of you, you know what that word sanctification means. It means to be set apart. You and I listen as we have come to justification, salvation. Now we're going through the process of sanctification. You have been set apart. I have been set apart, not for this world, but for the purposes of God. Because we don't belong to this world. We're in the world, but not of the world. And the world's going to hate us, as we've already covered, because we belong to Jesus Christ. We know we're going to go through hostility, but you and I are sanctified, set apart for his purposes and for his glory. Now, there will be those who will come along. It's interesting that as we read here that we're to pursue that holiness and that peace with others. Without you will not see the Lord. There are those who will come to you and to me and they will say, I don't want to hear about Jesus. Ever had that happen? I don't want to hear about the Lord. I don't want to hear about your Bible. And you see, 
we think that they don't want anything to do with the Lord, and they don't. But you know how they can still see the Lord? Through you. The reality of Jesus in you and how you live, in your conduct, in your speech, in your behavior. That you have the love of Christ that is flowing from you. That there's the peace of God is in your heart, that rules in your heart. That you're pursuing holiness. You're not living after the world. And they look at you and they see that you're different. And they think, wow, there's something different about you. They're seeing the reality of Jesus being worked out in your life. That's how they're going to see the Lord. So make sure that you're pursuing peace and holiness. And as we read verse 15, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. And I believe that this is perhaps a third reference of the Old Testament in our teaching this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 18, that there may not be among you a root-bearing uh, bitterness or wormwood. I need God's grace, and so do you. And I think all of us, we want God's grace in our lives. I believe that God's desire for us is to experience His grace and to live in His grace. But when that bitterness comes into our hearts and then that root of bitterness is there, it will cause us to fall short of God's grace. We can become bitter because I'm experiencing hostility from the world. I become bitter because people put me down. I'm bitter, I'm discouraged, and I go through hard times and difficult times. And you may be here, and you may be thinking, well, pastor, I have the right to be bitter because I've been hurt or I've been betrayed and I've been cut deep. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you'll just please, if you'll just listen and hear my heart on this. Because I don't want to minimize the hurt that you've gone through. And I don't understand everything that you've gone through, but the Lord has. But I've talked to a whole lot of people in my years of ministry that are bitter. And when that root of bitterness comes into their hearts, and over time, if they don't give it to the Lord, it begins to spread like cancer, and it defiles not only them, but the people around them. And they walk around bitter and angry and full of wrath. And the Lord doesn't want that for us. He wants us to give that all to Him. To say, Lord, help me with this bitterness. In the honesty of your heart, to be able to say, Lord, help me with this anger that I have towards this situation or towards this person. Help me with the hurt and help me to forgive. And that can be one of the hardest things that the Lord has called us to do, but there's that imperative in Scripture to forgive, and I'll tell you why. It's not that we condone their sin. Oh, just no big deal. Their sin hurt. And that's the thing about sin. When you and I sin, it not only affects us, but a whole lot of people around us. And you've been affected by it and hurt by it and cut deep. But we are to forgive and give the Lord that bitterness or anger that we have towards that situation or that person. And I'll tell you why it's important. Because when you begin to do that and say, Lord, help me, I need your help. We can't do it in our own flesh. Lord, every day, Help me, help me to forgive truly in my heart. And as he begins to do that supernatural work in you, you know what it's going to do? It's going to free you. And that situation and that person no longer has power over you. And you see, that's what happens if we don't forgive. And the root of bitterness takes, 
root there in your heart and, and it begins to spread and it begins to destroy you spiritually and defile you and others around you. I'm sorry for your hurt. And I'm sorry for what you've gone through. I don't know what you've gone through. But please give it to the Lord. Don't go through life being bittered and full of anger. And I've talked to Christians that way. And it just ends up just destroying their spiritual life. Give it to the Lord. Let him do that work that he wants to do in your life. So you stay faithful to the Lord. Understand that you're running a race to endure. That God's discipline comes into my life. I'm not to despise it, be discouraged by it. I'm supposed to embrace it, pursue peace with others. I belong to him. My life is now his. And if that includes difficulty, and it will, and hostility of others, disappointment, I'm not to be bitter towards God or others, but as I have the peace of God in my life and pursue that holiness that the Lord will be seen through me. And you trust him. And you're going to experience, listen, his grace to a great degree. You wait, you watch, you'll see it worked out in your life. But verse 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. An example, one who was bitter, Esau. Many of us know the story in the book of Genesis. Esau, his twin brother, Jacob. And Esau, being the older, was to receive the birthright. Uh, Jacob was the younger. And Esau, he was a man's man. He was a hunter. And Jacob kind of liked to hang around the tent you know, making cookies with mom, and he's making a bowl of stew, and Esau comes back from hunting, Genesis chapter 25. And Esau comes to, to Jacob, who was a conniver, who was a deceiver, and, and Esau says, give me a bowl of stew. I'm about ready to die. And Jacob said, I'll give you this bowl of stew, but I want you to give me your birthright. Now, the birthright would include the oldest getting a double inheritance, which was a blessing, but also there was a responsibility of the oldest to oversee the spiritual well-being of the family, to be the spiritual leader. And as Esau came back from that hunt, tired and hungry, give me some of that stew, will you give me your birthright? He said, I don't care about my birthright. I just want the stew. He was that carnal, that profane, where he gave up his birthright for a bowl of stew, for temporary satisfaction. He didn't care about the spiritual implications at that time. And as he gave it away, it showed how little he thought of his birthright. And here's the thing. Esau didn't care about the spiritual responsibility that came with the birthright. He just wanted the blessing. So you go to Genesis chapter 27. When the blessing came to Jacob, that's a story in itself. Esau was weeping because he wanted the goods. I want the blessing, but he didn't get it. And he became bitter and wanted to kill his brother Jacob. He had worldly repentance, but not godly repentance. And I believe that is what's being told to the Hebrew believers and to us as well. You've had it hard. You've lost out. But don't become bitter. And don't go back to Judaism because it would be, perhaps they would think a whole lot easier for 
me to do that, for us to do that, beneficial. Uh, I won't be going through all the difficulties. Don't do that. And you and I, even though we go through the hostility of maybe family members and old friends and those at work, don't leave that. Don't leave the spiritual responsibility that we have to keep pursuing the Lord. Don't go back to the world because it's not going to benefit you. Don't go back to that which won't save you. Don't compromise. We think the worldly benefit, it'll be all right, it'll be good, and you'll find that it won't, that it'll bring you into bondage, and it'll bound you up and do you in. Don't do it, and don't become bitter. You have made a decision to holiness and running a race that is pleasing to God. And listen, the day that we make that our own and get that into our hearts, that, Lord, that I am to pursue peace with others, the path that you want me on is a path of holiness, I belong to you, and I am not going to go back to the world. You live for Christ. And it may be that you, and you will, miss out on some of the things in the world. But don't become bitter, but rejoice and be blessed because you have the kingdom of God and you have the blessings of the Lord and you belong to a kingdom that will last forever. Live for him. Take on the responsibility that you have as a man of God, as a woman of God, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother that God has given to you. Because you see, sometimes Christians will say, well, I'm going to pursue the worldly things. And, and all of us, we want to leave an inheritance to our kids, don't we? That, that's a good thing. But more important than leaving stuff for them or money or whatever is to leave a godly inheritance and legacy. That is far more important than any worldly thing that we can leave to them. Leave them a godly inheritance. Be a godly man. Guys, lead your family. Take on the spiritual responsibility that has been given to you and don't be passive about it. And don't apologize for it. And you stand firm for the Lord. And you trust in Him. And if you miss out in the world, which you will, don't become bitter by it. But you look to the Lord and know this, that He's with you and He's going to bless you and you're going to experience His grace as we talked about. And then verse 18, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burn with fire and to the blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words that those who heard it begged that the word should be spoken to them anymore verse 20 for they could not endure what was commanded and if so much as a beast touches the mountain it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow and so terrifying was the sight that Moses said I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling you might be thinking what is this all about well the writer here is recounting that story of Exodus chapter 19 Moses comes out of Egypt he comes to the mountain of God and the Lord said to Moses as they're at Mount Sinai that, you know what, you and the people consecrate yourself because I'm going to show myself to you. And the mountain shook, and there's fire from the mountain like a furnace. There was thunders, there was lightnings, there was the voice of God, there was a trumpet sound that got louder. It was awesome, it was incredible, but it was overwhelming, and it was terrifying to the people. They trembled. 
Only Moses was allowed to go up on the mountain. They set boundaries around the base of the mountain. No one go past those boundaries lest you die. No animal go past that boundary lest they be shot with an arrow or stone as we read in verse 20 here. So the message given here is you have thought of going back to the law. Remember what it was like when the law was given to you. It brought fear. You couldn't go up on the mountain because of the holiness of God. And the law given to you, you couldn't keep it and you didn't keep it because after 40 days, you guys made a golden calf. You committed idolatry and immorality, dancing nakedly around that calf. And you want to put yourselves back under the law? Don't do that. In verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, a different mountain, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things than that of Abel. Listen, you believers, you've gone through difficulties, you've gone through the hardships, they've taken your possessions, and as you come out of Judaism, remember what you have come to Folks, listen, you come out of the world, out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Don't ever forget what you have come out of. You come out of the darkness and bondage and depression and defeat and yuck and weirdness. And you've come to Jesus Christ who has freed you and forgiven you. Don't ever forget that. Don't forget, you Hebrew Christians there in the first century, what you've come to, that which is much superior to the old covenant. I think verses 18 through 24, that the writer here is giving them this quick summary of what he wrote to them in the first 10 chapters. It has cost you presently, but look what awaits you because you have come to Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, a better superior covenant. You have come to Mount Zion and you have a heavenly city that you will belong to and dwell in. Chapter 21 in the book of Revelation tells us that there's going to be angels everywhere. It's going to be interesting. The throne of God, uh, the description of the four living creatures, the cherubim, the seraphims, you know, the angelic creatures that are there, the general assembly, that is the Old and New Testament saints, all the believers, the church of the firstborn are registered in heaven, the spirits of just men, all because of Jesus, and the law could not do that. All the law brought was death, in fear and judgment. And in verse 24, when he writes concerning Jesus, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel, what meaneth thou by that? What does that mean? Well, I think it means this. When Cain killed his brother Abel in Genesis chapter 4, God said, Abel's blood cries out to me. So what did Abel's blood cry out? Justice, judgment, revenge. But Jesus, who died on the cross, listen, his blood cries out grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. And see that you do not refuse him, verse 25, who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once uh, more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, 
that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now that we have seen in Hebrews that the writer has given several warnings, and now here's another one. He is saying, hey, if they, that is your brethren, the children of Israel, did not escape the consequences of disobedience, what was spoken from the law, the covenant that God made with the children of Israel, uh, as the mountain shook, and, and, and it was an awesome sight. And God said, if you follow after me, and if you keep my commandments, I'll bless you. But if you don't, if you forsake me, then judgment's going to come, and you're going to be defeated by your enemies and go off into captivity. We're seeing this worked out. Uh, in their history as we've been going through the book of Isaiah and through the Old Testament. We, as we live on this side of the cross, we are told in Galatians that the law is something that shows us our need for Jesus. Oh, it doesn't declare us righteous. It shows that we're not righteous. It doesn't declare us holy. It shows that we're not holy. And it is to be a tutor, a schoolmaster, to drive us to the Savior, Jesus Christ. So how much more greater consequences, and we shall not escape, if we turn from him who speaks from heaven, or the greater work that God did on Mount Zion, speaking of Jerusalem, speaking of Jesus going to the cross. And we know that it was on the Mount of Transfiguration that the Father, he did speak, didn't he? He said, this is my beloved son, hear him. And this warning is a reiteration of the warning given in chapter 10 after the writer painstakingly brings forth truth that Jesus is the author of eternal salvation. Nothing else, no one else. There is no other salvation. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. And this is real. There is a consequence of rejecting his son, the work of grace on Calvary's cross, truth being rejected as we know many today are rejecting that truth. There are many today that think that there's other saviors, other ways to God. Being good, you know, outweighing your bad, that's the way to heaven. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, not a way, but the way, the truth, and the life. And in verse 26 here, he quotes from Haggai chapter 2, verse 6, which speaks about how the heaven and the earth will literally be shaken and removed, and there will be a new heaven and earth, and that's our, our eternal destination. It's going to happen, so hear the heavenly voice. Know that what it is that you've turned to, the work that was done on the cross of Calvary. In verse 28, Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for God is a consuming fire. You know, sometimes I'll get somebody, they'll call me or send me an email, and they tend to be legalistic, they'll focus on works, and they like to argue, well, too much grace, it gives license and breeds disrespect and disobedience towards God, and, and they like to quote from verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. And I agree. He is, that's what the Bible says, Absolutely. He will consume all that which is outside of Christ. But don't forget verse 28. That grace gives us reverence and godly fear. You see, that's what it means to live in true grace. It isn't walking in sin. I'm free from sin. I'm free to live for him. 
I live in this newness of life. And it's so incredibly awesome and being thankful and at awe at his love and mercy and what Christ did for me and what has been provided by him. There is this deep respect and reverence and awe of God. Do we understand that? That's what grace brings. And I will approach him on his grace found in Jesus, Mount Zion. It's not going to be found on Mount Sinai. It's going to be found at the cross. As we go to him, as we look to him, consider him, surrender to him, and then live for him. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this chapter. There's so much here. And as we go over these verses, it reminds us once again how you desire for us to live. And, and when we go through the hostilities and difficulties, that we don't become bitter. So, Lord, I do want to pray for anyone that is here listening to this message. Lord, if there's any root of bitterness that is in any heart, that in the honesty of our hearts we would give it to you. Say, Lord, I've been bitter. I've been angry. Unforgiving. So help me to forgive and to get rid of this bitterness and anger. I give it to you, Lord. I need your help because I've been hurt. I need healing from this hurt. I need strength. And the Lord wants to do that work in you. But you got to give it to him. To say, Lord, I'm going to forgive. And I want to move forward. And I don't want to be just defiled and then defiling others. But Lord, help me. And enable me. I give it to you now so I can be free to live for you. Father, I pray for those who perhaps there's anybody at this service praying that. That, Lord, that you would help them. That you would comfort them, strengthen them, work in their lives. And, Father, I pray if there's anyone here that you haven't come to Calvary. That is not to Calvary Chapel, but to Calvary, the cross, to surrender your life to him for forgiveness and salvation. Oh, we read here how on Mount Zion, the mountain shook and there was thunders and lightnings. We can even hear thunder above us right now as the storm rolls in. But the Lord wants to give you peace and salvation in your life. And it only comes by faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot earn it. You can't merit it. Coming to church, listening to a Bible study, trying to be a good person, that will all fall short of the glory of God. It's only faith in Jesus Christ who came and died for you and for your sins. You're not going to find real peace and satisfaction in this life. It will only bring death to you, this world. Apart from Jesus Christ, listen, he loves you and he's come to give you life and life abundantly. Will you give your life to Jesus? Will you surrender to him? And you can pray right where you are because he loves you. And he's desiring and calling you right now. No matter where you're at, what you've done, he wants to forgive you and save you. And you can call out to him from your heart, Jesus, I come to you, that I confess I am a sinner. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose again and you're speaking to my heart. And I come... And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. I want to trust in you, look to you. 
I believe in you. Lord, I thank you for bringing me to this place and for this new beginning. In Jesus' name. And as we have the ministry team up front here, in a few minutes as we close, I would ask that you would just come up and tell them the decision you made. If you're listening on the radio or, or live stream, that you would call in, let us know you made a decision for Christ. We want to bless you and help you in any way. But for all of us, that as we leave this place, that we would live in your grace, walk the path of holiness and pursuing peace with others. Lord, bless everyone here as we go our way. In Jesus' name, amen.